welcome back to this next episode of the Global Growth Leaders podcast series. I'm Simon Haig, and once again, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, my good friend and colleague, Henry Wang, for another special episode in which I'm going to be asking all the questions, Henry. <laughs> That's a special one. Yeah, thanks, Simon. This is a special episode, and we welcome Raymond to join us. Thank and, you very much, uh, Henry. Overcoming COVID has really incurred unprecedented human and economic costs globally. Unlike previous economic crises, this crisis with the health pandemic globally has really caused significant economic damages and also caused significant supply chain failures globally. Many experts have warned that this is isn't just a temporary hiccup, but a serious wake-up call for something more serious globally. There are some countries pushing for faster recovery and returns to business as normal with some quick fixes. However, there are also many strong drive from leaders with longer-term visions to build back better with sustainable improvements and with international dialogue. A good example is the recent call by the United Nations World Economic Forum and the G20 and B20 on building back better with international cooperation and sustainable innovations. Thanks, Henry. And so geopolitically, this crisis has, from a medical research perspective at least, underlined the huge value of global collaboration we're witnessing the development and adaptation of life-saving technologies and massive research into treatments. We're experiencing perhaps not seen before, at least since the AIDS crisis of the 1980s, sharing of scientific journals, genome sequencing data and clinical trials, bringing together thousands of scientists, medics, companies and researchers globally. To facilitate greater international collaboration and understanding, Henry and I are conducting a series of global podcasts with distinguished international thought leaders from both the East and the West. And these thought leaders will be discussing key topical issues, including healthcare, youth, climate change, media, leadership, culture, and today, innovation and commercialization of intellectual property, which is a subject that's extremely important given that the world needs to find a proactive way forward. We hope that these open exchanges of views and international thought leaders from the both the West and the East should help foster greater international understanding and cooperation. We're delighted that all ep episodes are featured on all leading podcast channels, YouTube, social media, and more. Okay, so I get to ask all the questions. First up, Henry, it's wonderful that you've been invited to join the boards of international companies and leading universities. And I've seen you in action at Imperial College in London. Can you give us an overview of your impressive career journey to date? Thank you, Simon, and uh, happy to share. I have been lucky to be invited to join the board of various international companies and joint ventures where innovation and intellectual property protections are very high up on the business agenda. So this is a wonderful opportunity to be involved in this very important area. In addition, uh, universities, leading universities around the world, including some of the top 10 universities, are now 
putting a lot of emphasis on innovation and intellectual property uh, development. And I've been lucky to be invited to sit on the, such as the Enterprise Innovation Advisory Board of some of the top 10 universities of the world to work with the chancellors and the vice provost on pushing these areas ahead. Happy to discuss these more later on in the podcast. Well, Henry, yes, and I, you know, you're very esteemed and, and equally, uh, Raymond, uh, when, when I Google world's top IP coach, your name comes up first. And, you know, I've known you for three or four years now, and you are just a dynamo in terms of the way you talk in a no-nonsense commercialization way around IP. It's not a theoretical thing for you. This is about a key strategic driver for business. But before we talk about that, what, just give us an overview of your career, your journey to date, and, and what do you do as an IP expert? Thank you for your kind words, Simon. Um, I've always had a deep curiosity and fascination for technology and business. And I've been fortunate to have been exposed to all kinds of industries. I've worked in software, microelectronics, fashion, and mechanical engineering. I've worked with pioneers in the early days of the Internet of Things, machine vision, 3D lasers, and artificial intelligence. And what I've learned is that practices that are commonplace in one industry are unheard of in others. So just by keeping an open mind and applying these learnings, you can bring a huge innovative shift to any industry. My practical experience has been complemented by academic qualifications that are a Venn diagram of law, business, and technology. And as you, imagine, as you can imagine, the intersection of these three areas is a sweet spot for intellectual property which involves, again, the legal, the commercial, and the technical issues. So building on that academic base, I continued to work in IP strategy. And because I was doing transactions at the highest level, I've closed billions of dollars worth of deals in both trademarks and patents. And I've continued to apply these lessons and have built frameworks for innovation that I can use with my clients. So as an IP coach, I work directly with senior executives of high growth technology and life science companies. And I help them build and execute IP strategies. So I work with them to clarify their vision, to strategize actions, align resources, and train their teams. That's powerful stuff. And you do it in an extremely practical way. Uh, you've also written a couple of very interesting books, which you might talk about later on. So thanks for that, Raymond. So Henry, back to you. Congratulations on being invited to advise on innovation and IP in Asia and Middle East in various guises. What are your key activities and observations in the whole area of innovation and IP globally? Yeah. Oh, thank you, Simon. And uh, I've been lucky to be invited to advise on innovation and IP to various international companies, uh, joint ventures uh, in Asia and in the Middle East. And uh, a good example is the, the uh, I was involved with negotiating and setting up the largest Sino-foreign joint venture in China between multinational uh, international company together with a leading Chinese company. And in our negotiations for the, the new joint venture, uh, innovation and intellectual property protections 
together with uh, licensing are very important part of the uh, multi-billion deal. Uh, we had special teams uh, of uh, multidisciplinary teams negotiating uh, with the Chinese partners, spending four years in negotiating over a hundred licensed different agreements. It took a long time, but these were all efforts well spent because the, the joint venture has been set up for the last uh, 10 years and it's been running smoothly with no intellectual property dispute. And uh, the innovation continues with this joint venture, with them improving the processes and with new innovation, improving their operation on a daily basis. So that's very encouraging. Well, that's, that's wonderful. And it's interesting you mentioned how long it took four years. I've done quite a bit of business in China and you know, the whole area of building trust, Guangxi in China, you know, you have to earn your trust in, in certain cult cultures and particularly in China. And, um, and uh, you know, whereas intellectual property is a substantive subject, I think, you know, and Raymond, you might correct me, but I think to be able to commercialize this with commercial mouse, you need to have that, you need to have a commercial mouse. It's not, as you, as you say, it's not just about being, having a legal mind. You need to have that commercial, common sense, trust, cultural astuteness mind, which we'll come on to in a bit. So, um, so Raymond, I can see that you you have parallels with Henry in advising international governments and, and boards of companies on, on, on all continents, on five continents. Would you have similar observations? And maybe if you can also mention this whole area that I've just mentioned about the importance of trust to commercialize innovation and, 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 and IP. Absolutely, Simon. Yes, it's fantastic. It's fantastic and fascinating to hear Henry's observations. And I agree with you, Simon, that when you're talking about an agreement, the first thing you have to have is a relationship. And before you can have the relationship, you have to have trust. And even after you have the agreement, you have to live with the agreement afterwards and to be able to build on that. So the trust is important, the relationships are important, the patience is important, and commitment to making it all work. So all of those things are very important elements, and I agree entirely with your uh, thesis on that. My biggest observation comes in two parts. The first is that the business world has changed. For more than 2,000 years, wealth was built on physical assets, such as land, machinery, access to raw materials. And in recent decades, there's been a huge shift in that the biggest companies in the world now have valuations that are independent of physical assets. Those valuations can be 80%, 90%, even 100% intangible. And this is true for fast growing technology and life science companies too. And they have very few hard assets and the valuations can be 90% intangible or more. And the second part of my observation is that even though there's been this huge shift from tangible to intangible, companies are still operating as if it was the 1960s. They're managing their, tang their tangible part of their business because that's what they can understand. And they have no idea how to manage the massive intangible part of their business. And we're not just talking about invisible value. We're also talking about invisible risks. And if you get this wrong, you can lose everything. So that's where I step in. I advise the boards of companies on how to build massive intangible value and how to clear IP risks to scaling. 
That's that's wonderful, and it really resonates with me as somebody who who, who helps companies and leaders in the whole area of strategy. And I all, I always start with what I call the three R's of business success: revenue, risk, and reputation. For me, it's all about revenue at the top of the triangle, risk at the left, and reputation on the right. And reputation is is made up of uh, you know brand and intellectual property and all the intangible stuffs and it. And, and I, I also say that it's a three-legged stool. You know, you have to, you can't just chase revenue at the expense of the other two legs, risk and reputation. So that, those three legs need to be equidistant. And that for me really demonstrates the importance of treating intangible assets and intellectual property as the core leg on a three-legged stool. And I don't think businesses have realized that, but I do think that coming out of this particular period, I think the whole area of the importance of reputation and intangible assets and intangible value, I think it's going to be, should be seen as more central to strategy. So that, that, that was important. That was, that was important to, to, to bring in there. So I might just mention now to, to ask both of you, uh, I'll open it up here. So maybe back to you, Henry, how important would you say innovations and IP uh, are for Asia and the Middle East in their recovery and build back better post COVID? I think it is very important, uh, innovation and intellectual property protection and development are very important for Asia and Middle East and globally in their recovery and building back better post-COVID. Let me share a few examples. For example, uh, one very major international speech uh, that was done was by uh, PRC President Xi Jinping to the United Nations on his the declarations of China's uh, plans, new plans to achieve carbon neutrality by 2060. Now, this is really very, very important speech. And it is great news for environmentalists and uh, climate change activists uh, globally. And uh, these to achieve these very ambitious targets by President Xi Jinping for China will involve a huge amount of investment and innovation and intellectual property developments. I was recently invited by, by Lord Howard to give a speech on China's new innovations in hydrogen and uh, hydrogen plant and clean fuel plants. And this shows very much that China is putting a lot of emphasis on developing new innovations in produce, in shifting away from fossil fuels into clean fuels. And they've identified hydrogen really as a important clean fuel for the future. They are now working a lot on innovations in producing clean green hydrogen using renewable and electrolysis. And this is a very ambitious and difficult area of innovations. And a lot of work is being done, not only in China, in Asia and the Middle East, but also in EU and in the UK and in America. For example, in the, the UK, UK has long been a leader in hydrogen innovation and developments with the leadership uh, in the Cambridge University and Oxford 
and joined by Imperial and University College, some of the, the universities which I'm advising, in, the, in, the, in powerful consortiums uh, which are developing new hydrogen technology. And this could be really hugely important for Asia and the Middle East and for the world because looking ahead, experts are forecasting that they could lower the cost for hydrogen production by about 80% by 2030. Now, this will be very important because we've already seen how innovation has lowered the cost of renewables in the last 10 years. For example, you know, renewable offshore wind and onshore wind have come from very, very expensive 10 years ago to now being cost competitive with fossil electricity generation. And many countries you can see are building wind farms, including the UK and Europe wind farms to take advantage of these new innovations and in using renewables to reduce their emissions. So this is hugely important. Uh, that, that's impressive. And yeah, I remember also, you know, innovation also impacts other areas, traditional areas like finance, you know, and I remember seeing you talking at Imperial College and I was just blown away by the students who would, you know, they were studying green finance and different mechanisms to use finance to, um, to crystallize innovative thinking. So it's, it's wonderful. So over to you, Raymond, I, I might ask the same question, but, but ask you maybe cheekily ask your thoughts on um, how do you think Asia and the Middle East are using innovations and IP as compared to the West? Are they doing it better? Or what are you seeing generally between Asia and the Middle East and the West? Um, what I'm seeing is that the world is more of a connected place now. And people are learning from each other. So you had traditionally that, for example, China was a net exporter of almost everything except for intellectual property. China was a net importer of intellectual property from the point of view that Chinese companies were paying licenses to Western companies. If you think about it, that all of the big patent strong and also copyright strong, you know, companies like Disney, um, all of these companies were Western companies and that they were licensing to Chinese companies who were manufacturing and then producing to the world. So Chinese companies were paying royalties much more than Western companies were paying royalties to Chinese companies. So it's the only place where there is a negative balance of trade for China. And over the years, China has learned from this and they have strengthened their intellectual property protections. And they've also built up, you see it like companies like Huawei, and then you're seeing other companies like ZTE, um, that they have developed IP portfolios that are very valuable and that they can now start sharing with the rest of the world as well. You're seeing it like for decades, Japan has also been up there at the top of the patent producers in the world. You're seeing now countries like the Middle East that they want to reduce their dependence on oil revenues and they're very cash rich. So they're trying to decide, how are we going to diversify our assets? We have this cash, what can we use it for to strengthen and make the Middle Eastern economy sustainable and also to give other options to our people for the future as well. So I'm seeing that those learnings are happening and the interconnectedness of the world is allowing this to happen. Uh, I'm glad you said that because I was going to mention that, that Henry and I spoke to, uh, had a wonderful conversation the other day with Elizabeth Lee um, from Hong Kong and 
what came out of it was very interesting, the impact of globalization. A lot of us think that globalization is dying, mainly because certain politicians are taking a very insular view around the world. But in reality, and, and she strongly believes, and I think you believe, and, and it's, for me, it's obvious, being on this more online world and this more interconnected world can only geometrically increase the rate of globalization and, and interchange. And, and, and I always thought of globalization in terms of economic transfer. But if you think of it, you know, the West over the last 40 years have benefited from a lot of the, the cultural aspects from the, from the East and the East from the IP aspects from the West. And I can only see that accelerating. Would you agree? You would agree with that, Raymond, that would, can only accelerate being online. I think so, because you have this fascination um, in the West, you have the fascination with what's happening in the East. And the East, they're also interested in uh, getting some of the things that they can see in the West all the time, because you can't close down people's access to the internet. They're seeing things on television. So uh, there's a lot of these influences happening. Yeah. You're seeing, for example, Japanese anime becoming very popular around the world. So this yeah. is an art form that comes from Japan. You also see in Japanese fashions, for example, being copied by people around the world now as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Henry, would that be your, I mean, you, you obviously live in Hong Kong, but you you work you work a lot in the UK and around the world and, and, and the Middle East. And are you seeing a, a, an increase in transfer of knowledge and, and innovate, innovative thinking? Are you, have you seen that or are you seeing, what, what are your observations? No, it's a very important area and uh, this is an area that I have advised leading universities on international, interna international collaboration on innovation and intellectual property development. A very, very good example I can share is the Oscar, which is a collaboration between Oxford University and Suzhou industrial park in China on the innovation and advanced uh, research. And this is really wonderful. It was set up uh, a few years ago and it involved uh, top-notch scientists from both China and the UK working together on, on leading areas. And, and they have been really successful. And the one good example I can share on this is that they have just been awarded one of the top awards internationally on developing a new fast way for rapid testing for COVID. And, and this is going to be of huge importance globally. Instead of now waiting for days for your COVID test results, you are now hearing that uh, COVID test, can, you can have your COVID test result in hours or even minutes. And this is very much based on the work that has been done by this joint research, advanced research center by cross country teams between the UK and China. And, and this is something we can be very proud of. And it's a really good example of why international collaboration is important in the area of innovation and intellectual property developments, particularly when you face with a global pandemic like COVID. You really need everybody rowing in the same direction and putting the best brain on this. 
I mean, uh, you know, even a few months ago, when you tell people you could have your COVID test, you know, in, in hours or minutes, people would say that is impossible. You know, but this is happening now. You could have this in Heathrow Airport, and you can now have this in Hong Kong International Airport too. That's fantastic, Henry. Uh, yeah, if you look at the different fronts in the fight against COVID, you have testing, you have therapeutics, and we're all waiting for the vaccine. And one of the vaccine solutions is a DNA-based treatment where you use a DNA fragment of the coronavirus to be able to create your vaccine. But to be able to make that DNA, you need a map. And Chinese scientists back in January of this year, so it was very, very shortly after COVID was starting to hit the headlines around the world. Back in January, scientists in China already mapped the genome of the coronavirus and shared it with the world. So now the world has a map that they can very quickly make DNA as one of the possible solutions for vaccinations. Yeah, I agree with you, Raymond. That's very important. I remember that news was so encouraging and, and sharing it globally yes. so that everybody can have this straight away was, was wonderful. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, certain world leaders talk about the China virus, but I'd like to talk more about the China vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so what, what would you say, maybe Raymond, your, your personal or, or whether you see it from a, from a market perspective, the top two or three priorities for innovations and IP-led change going forward, whether it's yours or what, what you're seeing in the market? Yeah, if I can share three things with you. And if you can only take away one of them, I would stress the word urgency. Um, in the area of patents, the global system is based on a first to register system rather than a first to invent system. And people are working on similar problems around the world. So it means that if you invent something new and important, someone else could come up with the same idea independently. So if you're even one day late in filing your patent application, somebody else could get to the patent office before you and file an application which makes them the inventor. So one priority is to encourage people to have a sense of urgency and not let the crisis slow them down. Um, a second one is that my clients are increasing emphasis on trade secrets. There's trade secret protections have been strengthened around the world. And in the last four years, sweeping legal protections have been implemented in Europe and the USA. Japan updated the trade secret protections two years ago and China has updated their laws two times in the last three years. Mm -hmm. So this is now a very powerful way for customers to boost, the, for, for companies to boost the protection of valuable ideas. And then a third priority is to increase general business awareness of the importance of IP management. For too long, it's been left to the legal department of companies. Something that represents 90% of the value of your company is too valuable to be left in the hands of one department. So, it needs to be managed from top to bottom of the company. And that's why I work directly to support the C-suite of companies to help them control the biggest part of their future value. Oh, that, that's wonderful. And as somebody who spent 13 years myself as a practicing lawyer, and, and I did a bit of technology law and a little bit of IP law, and I don't mean to offend any lawyers here because they're very smart people, but, but, but IP commercialization is about creative proactive thinking. And I think law as a profession is more geared to the reactive. So I think you're right. It shouldn't sit just in the hands of lawyers, definitely. There's a role for them, but I think it's part of that, the three-way role. So that was one wonderful. 
Henry, what, what would you say would be two or three priorities for innovations in IP, either globally or in the work you do? Yeah. Well, I think uh, one very important area for innovation is really can encourage innovation among the youth area. We touch on that when you touch on my annual speech at the Imperial College London Business School, which is one of the top 10 universities in the world. And their, their course on the climate finance is one of the top international courses for the youth and uh, future leaders who are interested in climate change. And uh, I feel a lot of innovation and a lot of energy when I talk to them. And, and I was very glad you can join me when, I, when, we, when we talk to the 30 odd students in their late 20s, early 30s, who have a lot of intellectual power, but at the same time, a lot of passion for climate change. And it was interesting. I was invited early on this year, just before COVID, to talk to them in January. And a lot of them were sharing their concerns about, they were already seeing how COVID coming and climate change and things like that could be affected. And also they were concerned about their future. And my advice to them was, you know, use your innovation, use your youthfulness and develop innovation ideas that would make you stand out and to be indispensable for future companies and fund and, and, and recruiters who, who, who you have to compete to, to get attention. And, and I was invited back at, the, at their virtual graduation when they presented their project projects. And I, I, I really was amazed at some of the innovations that these youths and uh, future leaders have put in, in developing possible solutions for the world. Let me give you a few examples. Everybody talked about the huge amount of plastic waste that are being generated and polluting our oceans on an annual basis. Well, one team from the Imperial has developed a great idea based on the carbon trading system they are going to develop a new international plastic trading system, which will means that companies, ethical companies or environmentally conscious companies, chemical companies who recycle plastic and reuse plastic waste will be rewarded financially. And I think this will have huge importance going ahead in minimizing plastic waste. Well, the good news for the story was the team that produced this idea, they were, together with me, there were investment bankers and fund managers from the city who were present. And immediately they recruited this whole team. So oh. <laughs> this, is, this is how innovation works. And you have able to use their youthful innovation and at the same time come up with a completely groundbreaking way to look at a huge problem for the world that could potentially 
improve this huge problem for the world and improve and reduce plastic waste around the world. That's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, that's wonderful. And so ju just wrapping up, the, f the final question, and then I might ask you for, after that for both con concluding comments. So maybe Raymond first, how do you see the West and the East, whether organizations or companies or nation states collaborating better internationally around innovation and IP? What, what do you think they can do better going forward? Well, the national legal systems are well established. So there's much more opportunity to collaborate these days. And the first thing is to be more open to the opportunities for collaboration. I often see companies in the West who they have a worldwide protection for their IP, but they're not using it in countries like China. Mm. And on the other side, I see Chinese companies who are very interested in the Western technologies, and then they want to know what to do with that. These Western companies, they can get a second life for their technologies by licensing their unused IP to the Chinese companies. So for the Western companies, this is two benefits. One is that it generates royalty income for their IP assets. And two, the global adoption of their technology will be increased by having it being used by Chinese consumers. Mm. And for the Chinese companies, it reduces risk and it saves time because they can immediately put to use a technology that's already proven in the West. Mm. And for Chinese consumers, they can get the benefit of the richer range of products and features. So for the Western companies, the Chinese companies, and the Chinese consumers, this East-West collaboration, it's a win-win-win solution. Yeah, ab absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting. I, when I lived in Australia, I represented an Australian pharmacy chain, and, and we had a couple of years conversation around, um, originally we thought that, that we were working with a, an entity, a, a pharmacy chain in Hubei province, Wuhan. So I, I was there five years ago. And Originally, we thought they were interested in buying products from Australia, but after two years of conversation, they turned around and said, no, we're actually interested in learning basically the intellectual property of how you service your clients, customer service yes. systems and methodologies. So um, you never know what, what, what opportunities are available. So that, that was wonderful. Um, Henry, just wrapping up, you mentioned a little bit about, a little earlier about international collaboration, but can you, anything else on your mind in, in relation to international collaboration and innovation and IP? No, I think the international collaboration in innovation IP area is very, very important. And the, the example which I gave earlier on about the, 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 collabor the successful collaboration between the UK and China in the Oxford University and the Suzhou uh, Academic Advanced Research Center. It, it's, a, it's a glowing example of that. I think uh, they have been successful. They have worked, the UK and the Chinese team have worked seamlessly together on a developing innovations to a huge to, to a global pandemic on COVID, which is going to benefit not only the people in the UK or in China, but globally, mm -hmm. everywhere in the world, because COVID is a global pandemic that is affecting everybody. So I think more of these should go ahead where really one plus one equal to three, rather than to go on the anti-globalization mm -hmm. and nationalistic uh, approach where one plus one equals minus one. That is, doesn't help anybody. 
I also very much agreed with what Raymond say in terms of the licensing and exchange of intellectual property between companies in the East and, and the West. And I think this is very important. I mean, a very good example was the project, the mega project I was involved in between China and Western countries, where we negotiated multi-billion deals involving advanced processes and involving over 100 licensed uh, contracts. And, and these works and these exchange. I mean, when I was invited to be director of the joint venture, you know, the Chinese partner were very upfront with us that they say that the reason we wanted you to be our joint venture partner is we have done thorough research on what you can offer to us. We were interested in the advanced processes that you have because these were processes that we don't have in China and that could improve our manufacturing efficiencies and operational efficiencies. But very importantly, at the same time, they touch on intangibles. And these are things that, that, that Raymond have said and you have said. Intangibles, what do I mean by that? When we had board meetings, they were also interested in our advanced marketing systems. They were also interested in our advanced management systems. They were also interested in our advanced talent development programs and uh, succession pipelines. These are very important areas which they feel can help Chinese companies or Asian companies or Middle Eastern companies to leapfrog the learning curve. And, and this, is, this is great. That's why I think international collaboration is very important in these areas of innovation, intellectual property, both in the tangible and in the intangible area. Well, that's wonderful. And maybe just wrapping up, uh, you know, we're living in this COVID period, which is changing the way, and it may be here for a little while longer, the way we communicate and interact. And, and, and Raymond, as you know, you know, in history, most innovation has been done face to face. And how do you both see what's happening with this circuit breaker? And this might go on for another year. It might even go longer. How do you see this potentially changing the way we innovate or the world innovates if we're not going to be face to face? Do you see it accelerating it? I mean, the younger generation, I think, are just going to accelerate the use of this stuff. And the older dinosaurs who are politically introverted and, and not used to innovating online, I think, are going to be left behind. Would you agree with that? Do you think, do you think this could be, you know, World War II and the space race for great periods of innovation? Do you, are you optimistic this could be a positive period for innovation or do you, do you think differently? Raymond. Uh, well, right now people are still continuing to innovate. And even if they are confined to base, whether they're stuck at home or they're stuck in a laboratory and they can't travel, they still are thinking about things. They're reviewing what they have. They're taking stock, they're reprioritizing and they're moving forward. And the worst thing that you can do is to just hunker down in your bunker, worry about how bad the world is and do nothing about it because your competitors are doing something about it. Yeah. So it's really important to keep moving forward. 
I really liked what Henry said about the one plus one is equal to three. I'd go even further than that. I would say, if you have a bicycle and I have a bicycle and we swap bicycles, we still only have two bicycles. But if you have an idea and I have an idea, if we share the ideas, now you have two ideas and I have two ideas. So one plus one makes four in that situation. <laughs> so that's the wonderful multiplier of intellectual property and intangibles. And we're just talking about two parties here. If we take people from China, from the USA, from Europe, we talk about collaboration. Now you have one plus one equals a hundred or a thousand or a million. And that's the real scalability. The thing that you can scale is intangible and you're not relying on the physical assets as your limitation. Absolutely. No, that's, that's very positive. And Henry, just to wrap up, would you have, you're an optimist by nature. Would you have a positive view of the younger generation and their view around and, and the, your general view of the future in terms of how humankind can really grasp this and not hide away, as Raymond said, and, and, and look to really collaborate more? Would you be positive? I think, uh, yes, I, I tend to look at it Positively, I think COVID has created a lot of problems and we mustn't downplay any of those. But at the same time, it has created some positive and we talked about it before. I think, first of all, uh, Zoom and virtual meetings is now becoming very popular. Yeah, I mean, the three of us having this great discussion today via Zoom on a very important topic it is really fantastic. A year ago, we would have said, well, where, which plane do we catch and which hotel do we stay in? <laughs> now we don't have to think about that. You know, We just say, send us a Zoom invitation and we will all be there. And that's much more efficient. Mm. Secondly, the very important thing is that I think it also gives an alternative to multitasking. A year ago, you know, you and I, we meet in London somewhere. I remember we're meeting in the city because you were there and I was there in between meetings and we managed to grab an hour and have some discussions. But all through that time, our mobile phone were calling and, and things like that. But now we are able, for example, take this, for the last 30, 40 minutes, we were able to concentrate yeah. with the three of us. Yeah. And, and the innovative energy and the concentration of that 45 minutes is just wonderful. It's powerful. It's very powerful. And I hope, I, and I'm sure, and I'm optimistic, like you say, I do believe the COVID, the pandemic will, will go away maybe next year or the year after. But I hope that the good things that we have, and these, these two good things, the continuous, you know, the efficiency that we have with virtual meetings and the concentration, mm. the stopping, the minimization of multitasking where it's appropriate, we should multitask where it's appropriate, but on the other hand, we should concentrate where we need power to innovate and to really develop solutions to important questions. I think that's very important. Well, well, I hope we keep those too. That's wonderful. Well, time has flown by because we've been so focused, the three of us. So I'd like to thank both of you, Raymond and Henry. This was a wonderful chat. And we, we hope you, the viewer and the listener, when this comes out, and I'll probably, I think I'll do a short version of this because I think people are very interested in this. Um, it's a groundbreaking podcast. We really hope people get to tune in and listen to this. And 
and and maybe in 50 years time people will watch back and watch us and they'll say yes they were right so thank you both very much that was wonderful thank you thank you thank you yeah. pleasure thank you, to be on with Brilliant. you henry and thank you simon for your masterful coordination of this <laughs> that's very flattering thank you bye-bye 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 Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Bye -bye.